No, it's no, that is great. No, I you don't, like it. You don't understand Boo. culture. You be quiet. It's April 27th, 2021. Hello, world. Welcome back to Refactored, the show where we try and help ourselves and you suck a little less each day. My name is Frank Cole. And my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 020. So we've, we've actually, you know, I, we hit 20. I, yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised that we stuck with this. Rec- Recorded 21, but some jerk on audio messed that up for us. So <laughs> 20 that we've released. I, I still want to know where that where that qualified professional is. Oh, oh, that's right. It. The the missing episode. We had one that uh, we had one that died. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, it was like 10 or 11. And yeah, yeah. And then it, and the whole out, the whole audio the wigged out and the, the audio is completely unrecoverable. That was that was very disappointing. I should go back and try and dig through it just to find out what we talked about so that we can try and resurface some of that, because I know there was good content in it. I remember being really, really cheesed off at that uh, that that died. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So um, we spoke after the episode last week and agreed we're going to try not to do continuations moving forward because it really it, it ruins the spontaneity. I, I totally agree. So split the difference on this one. There are two things that we're going to cover, uh, two, two topics, basically hanging chads, if you will, from last week. Let's get through those as quick as we can, and then we can just get into random news. Does that sound good? First, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. Uh, first of all, though, we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is, of course, that Frank is a lying liar who lies. A, oh? a long-nosed fire pants, if you will. Why is that? Uh, because what did I do? Y- you promised two episodes in a row. You promised some pearls of wisdom <sighs> about uh, resumes or job listings, and you did not deliver. <sighs> but you even doubled down halfway through last week. I you did. did not deliver. So we got to make good on that. That's right. I so did. we got to make good on that first. So so okay. Uh, so uh, I think there were things that you're saying you. You look for in a resume that gives somebody a boost in right, your eyes, right? And so we're so gonna let's, do, let's just do those out the gate so that we don't, so I don't so you can avoid again. the shame, so, so you can, can avoid, avoid the, the shame, shame, further of shame a, of a of a three peat failure. Yes, yeah. exactly. All right, so so these are the three and now four, maybe three point five things that I look for in a resume that are super duper telling that most times most people. I find don't actually look at and that people don't actually include. Sometimes I have to proactively ask about these things. So number All right, one, so let's fight. All right. Uh, I'm feeling feisty today. I'm over caffeinated and right. I'm ready to disagree with you on principle. <laughs> I, like maybe it's a good idea, but I'm just going to say no. <laughs> All right. So number one, any freelance or startup experience, literally any kind. If you have worked in a freelance capacity, even if it was during like for me, I did freelance computer repair as a high school teenager. Like it was just something I did on the side for my neighbors on my street. It was really small that burgeoned out over the course of my uh, into high school and college. And then actually post-college, I was doing it my nights and weekends and was, it it developed pretty significantly. Um, So as an example, as a small example, so if you've been a freelancer or a consultant, and then if you have worked at a startup or if you have uh, 
uh, even better, you know, run or been part of a startup. And the reason both of these things are really, really cool is they show drive and initiative and self-starterness. There is no way to fake those activities. If you are in those kinds of spaces, you're you you are by definition a go getter. And so it's a great sign that that you have that. Do you disagree there? And you're saying if you if you see these, you're saying, yeah, because I want to take notes so that I can tell you how you're wrong later. If you're saying if you see these, uh, you you look for people that have these or if you see them, they're uh, bonus points. How are you positioning this? So I look. So if if I see it in the resume, that makes the resume float to the top for me. And if I'm at a point where I have to pick between candidates, I will I will favor one with startup experience or consultant or freelance experience over one that does not because of the the self-startedness i know that i will be able to point that person in a direction and they will go because that's what those kinds of uh jobs and things require okay in a in in a nine to five in more of a uh let me take a step back here in an environment where you are in consultative services, okay, right. If you are in a startup or a small business, or if you work for a consultancy, I would agree one hundred percent. For enterprise, kind of dark matter development type work, I think there's. I would look at this as a bonus on balance. So I would, I would, I would see this on a resume, and I would agree. I would look favorably on it. Yeah, well, I said I, I don't I, know if it would be the tiebreaker, but it is it is bonus points for the reasons that you. OK, list it would be sure. OK. It wouldn't be the tiebreaker. It would be part of a tiebreaker. It would be one of the things that I would look at. You got to look at candidates in total. You can't you can't narrow it down yeah. to one thing or another. Yeah. Oh, this guy has one more year experience with X that, you know, that's not how the decision ever gets made. So it's just something else that I would absolutely throw into the pile. And is it's it a factor? A, and it's a factor. It's not. It's, I, I like to hire for it, but I don't always get candidates like that. And, and it's not a guarantee. The lack of that is not a failure indicator. OK, so so seeing it can be a success indicator. Not seeing it does not equate to failure, though. So I have lots of I have lots of engineers who've never done that kind of work and they're fantastic engineers. Some of it yeah. is opportunity, you know, where their careers have gone, the type of work they want to do. It just maybe hasn't lended itself to that. And it's totally fine, too. But this is when you see it, it's a very clear indicator. It's a very clear, positive indicator for the kinds of uh uh, traits that I tend to hire for, which is a lot of self-directed, self-motivated work. And yeah. that is well, like I said, if you're if you're in a small business, a startup or a consultancy, and I, and I know you are, yeah, that, that that's yeah, a but even if you're fit. not, even nope. if you're in a even if you if you're in a larger organization, if you have if you surround, if your team is built out with self-starters, you're you're going to have a good time because you're not going to have to deal with micromanaging. So I I, I think it's I good have, all around. I have seen self-starters burn out and leave in the enterprise environment because they don't have the degrees of freedom that they need to go and self-start things successfully. Well, I, right. So, so that's why I keep clarifying my so, – so my opinion, that's not always a benefit. It's not always a clear competitive advantage. Oftentimes, yeah, it, it – 
it betrays the underlying attributes of character that I think we would both agree are favorable. Yeah. Right. You you can go out and kill something and drag it home. You understand. And and not just because of the attitude of go get it, because I don't really necessarily need everybody to be a go getter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that there are other things it indicates. So if I see I think we already talked about this previously, but if I see small business or startup experience, what that or or uh you know 1099 work, what that tells me though is that there's a greater chance than average that you're going to be able to think holistically about the business rather than just writing the code. Right. So no, like, if, so like if you, if you ran a startup or something, I don't see the go get itness. My, the benefit to me is that like, Oh, you, you probably at least can understand how to think about things through the financial angle and the legal angle and the regulatory angle, and all these other different angles, rather than just the, you know, what is that? The, uh, uh, Michael Gerber, the e-myth, the e-myth revisited, mm-hmm. right? Where he's like, you, you're going to go start a business doing a thing. You're going to spend most of your time not doing that, that thing. thing. Right. Uh, and that's a shock to most entrepreneurs. Um, so I think, I think there's, there is benefit. Uh, I'll agree. I'll agree on balance. And I'll I would, it. and I would actually counter your, your, your negative point about the, the lack of freedom inside of a large organization. If you have people that are self-starters and they are lacking the freedom. You don't have a per- people problem. You have an organizational problem because you should be pushing as an organization. You should be aiming to push. Doesn't matter how big you are, pushing um, responsibility down and out in your organization. If things are if things are centralized, if power and control and decision making is centralized at the top or you know relatively at the top, then what happens when one or one of those people gets hit by a bus? I mean, it's this classic bus theory. Well, I'm, stuff. I'm agreeing. I'm, I'm agreeing with you in theory, but in practice, organizations don't work the way they do in theory. Well, we're talking about two, well, we're talking about two different problems, I think. And so your point is your point is valid. And what I am saying is, yeah, your point's valid. To, let's cut. It's let's cut to the of end. Let's let's just cut to the end. If you're hiring for self-starters, for entrepreneurs, and you're in an enterprise environment and they keep leaving, that's a clear red flag that you're yeah. doing something wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so like, I think because I, I, th- I think I can cut to the chase of where we're going to agree. If that's happening to you, then, yeah, you have a cultural issue. Yeah, but I, 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 I thought I, but I but I, I, I rang the bell. Like, like we were already fighting. You didn't need to go to the part where we agree. I needed to smash your face <laughs> into the ground first. My goodness. But that's all right. You're absolutely right. That is the case. And we can actually, we can talk about, we'll punt this conversation to another day because I, I think there's an institutional issue. And as it, as it so happens, I'm actually writing a pretty detailed piece right now that talks about this problem. Uh, it's not it's not published yet, so I won't go into show notes. But talking about the um how the organizational structure actually inhibits the the kinds of things that you're actually going after. So the organization wants to do X and they feel like they're pushing really hard to do X, but in pushing really hard to do X, they're actually pushing all of the same things that are prohibiting X from occurring. And they sometimes they don't even realize it uh, because mm. the problem you and said, the solution you said are, you're you're writing a piece, but what I heard was appending a bunch of garbage to my cat blog. <laughs> I'll have you know, there are no cats on my blog. 
despite being married to a veterinarian, there are no cats on my blog. So I'm gonna I'm gonna search I'm gonna search your site for references to cat or feline. I guarantee I I'll bet you a dollar I come up with at least uh, one. All right. Well, you 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 go ahead and have fun with that. So anyway, so that's number one, freelancer startup. Number two, uh, open source experience. Now this is specifically uh, writing or maintaining open source. Uh, contributing to open source a little bit, but I'm more interested if you have actually done open source work where that could be anything that could be a pet project that you run on your nights and weekends, just something you maintain from a library that, you know, that really helped you out and you pushed out to the world. It could also be, uh, the more forward thinking organizations that will open source code that they write, uh, like Netflix is very famous for this, you know, open sourcing huge swaths of the, of the logic that, that runs their back end. Um, or an organization that uh, has a premium product with an open source component where you, you know, uh, GitLab, for example, is, is, a, is a good example of this, where they, there's the open source GitLab and then there's the premium bits, which are not open source. And so uh, experience doing any of those is great. The more directly related to that you are, the better. And so I like seeing people who are actually authors, even of small projects. They don't have to be big. They don't have to have a huge following or any of this crap, but having done it. Because, again, self-startedness and direction, uh, the ability to uh, self-discipline. And the other nice thing about open source is you're dealing with the public. <laughs> you're dealing with and it's it's they are customers in a sense where I deal with the customers so the developers <laughs> don't have to. I'm a people person. <laughs> what what would you say you do here? Exactly. <laughs> so. You're dealing with it, it's it's interesting because you're dealing with people who would in theory be your customers, but they haven't paid you for it, you know, and so you they owe you you owe them nothing, but you want to help because you want your code out there. That's part of the things that proliferates it. And that audience can be, shall we say, a little contentious at times. And so there's a lot of skill that goes into navigating those waters. It's the same kind of skills that. Uh, I remember when I was working for a nonprofit because we had a lot of volunteers, people were volunteering their time and you didn't have any, you know, they weren't employees. So you didn't have the normal levers that you would have over, over an employee work base. And so you had to be, you had to dance to, to get what you wanted or to give them what they needed without actually in the, in the case of open source, giving them what they need or getting the feedback from them without, you know, killing yourself or, you know, coming off. Negative. Well, it's, it's funny you said you said they would they would be your customers, but you don't owe them anything. And that's not that's not how the comments read, <clears throat> because you've had like I've had I've had customer, you know, corporate corporate environment. I've had customers that are like, oh, the site's down. Could you like unbreak it, please? And then I've had I've I've <laughs> I've seen open source projects where somebody gets on and they're like, hey, you know, and you can hear the tone mm -hmm. in the comment. Oh, yeah. Hey. Jerk face. I installed this on a Raspberry Pi over NFS after applying custom patches and I changed the green to blue and it wasn't blue enough. You need to fix this now. <laughs> they are the most they should be so entitled and they have paid for nothing. Nothing. No, and you're ignored you're right. your instructions, not looked at the open tickets. <laughs> they are uh they are a passionate bunch. <laughs> that say. was I that probably the nicest that is maybe way the most it. diplomatic response you could have possibly conceived. 
And and this is coming from me. It's probably my most diplomatic <laughs> response to anything ever. Let's 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 they be are honest. A, a passionate group of folk. They they really they really are a passionate people. Uh, and some of it is, it, it, it's. <laughs> I think part part of it is that they uh, it, it's it's a matter of perspective. So the the. Uh, you know, the client who's coming to you, please, sir, I want some more. Please turn the site on. Actually has, right. the, the, you are holding keys to their kingdom, you know, because there's usually, yeah. there's usually some pass through from you through them to their client and they need to get it working. And so, it, you know, better, better a little, you know, better the carrot than the stick on the on the open source side, you're usually dealing with a developer who's using your code in something else to get their job done. And now you are, um, you are a, a blocker and, uh, you know, not having, again, with, with the lack of finance, when, when there's no dollars being exchanged, people get weird. People get really yeah. weird. Whereas with the money, it, it, it's always, the behaviors are almost entirely predictable. I think but, but people, but people get weird with without money changing as people get weird when there's money changing. I mean, no, I think the generalization are, yeah. people are just weird. People man. are just weird. People are freaking I, weird. I, I mean, that is one thing that you and I will always agree a hundred percent on. People are all, all damn weird. And that's why I work full time alone in my basement. And then I just don't have Amen. to deal with them, you know, Amen. except for all of the zoom calls that I'm on all day. But you know, other than that, um, all right, so that's so open source. Also, a good thing that I like to see. It shows code skills. Obviously, it shows dealing with the public. It shows uh, the ability to prepare and deliver something for public consumption. So there's a there's a there's a sales element to it. There's there's a lot of different things in there. And so I actually, if I don't see any open source on the on a resume, I'll actually ask for engineers. Hey, have you done any open source work that I can look at? Because it's it's just handy in a whole bunch of different ways. And again, helps. Yeah, help. I'm gonna. I don't I don't disagree with any of that with this one. With both of these two points so far, I, I get you did you did prefix this and I understand that that is your attitude, but I, I don't think it can be said often or loudly enough. The caveat that the lack of these is not. Yeah. Uh, block. It's, it's I having never said them that. is a good book. No, you You're did. You're going full just, lawyer on me here. This is I, like. I just said. No, no, no. Wait, hang on here. Hang on. Hang on. Because I, I, I said you prefix this. You did uh -huh. say it already. Yeah. What I'm suggesting is it, it can't be loud or often enough that not having any of these isn't a, a detriment. It's not a minus point against you. Right. But I mean, that was from the. I don't understand why you're going no. all. On me about this, like it's it's bad, bad sound, boo, bad sound effect. Bad, That's garbage. What are you Get talking that about? No, that is fantastic. No, that is great. it's no, that is great. No, I don't you like it. you boo. don't understand boo. culture. You be quiet. You be no, I'm, no, no, I'm not playing the boo. I, I'm not, I'm not playing the boo for you. No, you know? no, I'm booing you. You no. don't have to do anything. Oh, okay, well, I'm playing there. this for you. Get out. Get out of this house. Okay, so <laughs> so there. <laughs> my I always my, my wife and I always joke there's a, an episode of The Office where uh, sparing the details uh, 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 Dwight says you can't fire me I don't work in this van <laughs> my wife and I say that to each other all of the time um, that would be a, that would be a good clip if maybe, no, maybe I'm, I'm just reiterating because I understand I understand how these things come up and I understand how they are they're boons bonuses if you've, if you've got them that's a good way what, of putting it because what you what you resume said was a good boons. way to position it resume if I, because like what it. you said was was important in, on this last one, and I think it it applies equally. If I see them, it is some proof of blank, 
Mm-hmm. Right. But if you don't see them, doesn't mean it's anything. not negative. It's exactly. Easy. It's not right, negative. But what I'm, I'm spending some time here because I think for a lot of like, especially dark matter developers, there can be a complex that develops like, oh, if I don't have all of these things, then I'm not going to get hired or I'm not doing something right. Um, like the open source example. That could be not having it could just be an indicator of not having any spare time. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and uh, yes, <laughs> you've used that term twice now. What is a dark matter developer? This is the first time I've heard that. What, what is that? No, that's not the first time you've heard it. We've talked about this Have months we? ago. So what is, what is a dark yeah, matter this came, developer? Uh, this, this comes out of the Coder radio show. So trademark Jupiter broadcasting, um, dark matter developer. They, they make up the bulk of the universe, but you can't observe them directly. These are the, Java and C sharp developers working for enterprise, cranking away line of business applications all day oh, long. Oh, okay, yeah, we did talk making about a, this. I'm remembering making it now. a good living, building cool tech, but they're not like high profile. They're not open source. You know, you, you don't, you don't, you know that they're there, but you don't, you don't ever see the the work product directly. Right. Okay. All right. So yeah, this, yeah. 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 Right. So, um. Okay, so good recap. Sorry, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to make like more of a deal on that caveat than than is warranted. Yeah, you're making this I a just huge to, caveat. Like you are, you are, yeah, because you I are think massively embiggening this 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 caveat. Like this is yeah, okay. Then then I'll I'll own it. Then okay. I'm making I mean, it bigger. Is, That's right. me. I mean, this is making I mean, it bigger since 2021. I mean, honestly, this this is you today. I don't care if you don't like uh, that you, sound. That's you. Right. That is, that too, is too you. much sound. Too much soundboard. I'm cutting you off for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's freelance and startup open source. The third one, blogging, uh, blogging. It, blogging. And the reason, and I'm going to expand that. I'm using blogging as a catch-all term. This could be any form of writing for uh, public or semi-public consumption. Any kind of formalized writing. It shows communication skill. It shows writing skills, which are really important. Um, if it's done well. If it, well, that exactly yes, <laughs> and so uh, the ability to communicate an idea in writing is is a very very important skill. It does illustrate your ability to um, it, it, it um, loosely demonstrates presentation skills uh, in in an abstract sort of fashion. Um, it shows a uh, you know those those kinds of projects are usually drawn out. They take some time, and so it's um, it, it it's a good thing. And if you're doing it on your own, on your own time, doing your own thing, again, you're seeing some initiative and some and some drive. Not again, since you know this is the uh, this is Chris's day here. That uh, not not altogether necessary. Not doing it isn't necessarily a bad sign, but. With this one, I'm going to I'm actually no, gonna, not doing it. Not doing it isn't a bad sign at all. Not doing it is. Well, I mean, if, if you haven't, if you can't show me some writing that you've done, I mean, outside of outside of a very heads down, very you got the resume matter, sitting in front of you. True. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's I mean, you, too. I mean, that's that is the one single most important piece of writing that I'm going to see both functionally because that's what gets you on my radar as a candidate. Uh, but then also your ability to explain things concisely, have empathy for your reader, focus on what's important, cut down on the noise. I think that's a mm -hmm. really good case study. Um, but I would agree because I, I think it's not practical. Uh, not that it's not practical. Very few people do it. 
So well, yeah, if I see it, I, I would agree with you. If I see it, yeah, that's a bonus point if it's being done well. <laughs> right. And more people, um, and I think more people should, because a lot of us, we have a lot of knowledge locked up in our collective nerdy heads. And we don't oh, honestly, I'd agree with that. I mean, we don't do enough documentation. I mean, let's take a step. I, let, amen. Let, I was we'll just going to say that. <laughs> we'll generalize this even further. That, yeah. We'll go from blogging. Yeah. Show me some documentation for the code or project that you've written. And, yeah. and even that would be useful because you have to, in this world, you have to do writing, even if it's simply documentation of the things that you do. So show me some human speech that you have written. And maybe even now more than ever with everybody remote. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, that, so that is a minimum requirement, but again, it also shows if, you know, if you're writing about the stuff that you do that shows passion and interest so you said, in it. So you said like you said blogging, but you also widened the definition to include semi-public writings. What, what so fits I'm thinking under about, that category? So white white papers inside of a inside of an industry niche or something that uh, got um, something that only went out to, something you wrote for your company that only went out to say that company's customers. You know, so internal mm -hmm. writing or newsletters or and things like that. Um. Uh, let's see, uh, scientific Do you see that papers? kind of stuff often? I, I mean, your, it comes, when I ask about it, uh, some people don't necessarily volunteer, but what I see, what I see a lot of, the, the common thing I see is references to formalized published materials. If, you know, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll put, especially if something ended up on a noteworthy site or, you know, something equivalent to a, you know, to a science journal and things like that. They like to publish those. They, you know, they'll, they'll include uh, references mm -hmm. to that on the resume. Um, patents are another thing that I see with occasionally. I, 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 that, patents, I don't swing one way or the other because a lot of times you're doing that because the company is you know putting you in a position where you are you know delivering that patent you know no no not a most people don't set out to do the patent on their own unless it's a startup and you know they're owning their own thing and then you know the patent sort of a foregone conclusion yeah. but there's a lot of and writing that goes into that so even then if we're talking about development here software patents are Ugh. garbage oh yeah i don't mm -hmm. garbage they're they're hot no, let's not let's not go there today no, I don't want to talk about patents. All right, so that's so those are those are my three that I look for. Said said everybody all the time. Yeah. I don't want to talk about patents. I don't want to talk about that. So <laughs> unless um, you've got one with your name on it, those are the only people that want to talk about. And, and then and then you want to show that damn patent to everybody. It's like the you know it's yeah. like the uh, the slides from your vacation. You know, then, then yeah it's, yeah then it's like a kid photo <laughs> or being vegan. How do you know? It's because they tell you. Everyone tells you whether you want to yeah. hear it or not. Um, yeah. So freelance or startup experience, uh, open source projects and blogging. Those are my three. The, the bonus. You said there was a point five. There is okay, a point the five. Thing. The bonus is testing and TDD. And this applies obviously explicitly to engineers. Testing is absolutely. I think we can agree. Testing is absolutely necessary. You should do it. Remember, we talked about how you actually how you should uh, apply the testing time to the project development time and not isolate it out. We talked about that in an earlier episode. So we both agree that it's super duper important. I think we'd also both agree that not everyone does it. And even those that do it, a lot of times they don't do it well. They say they do it, but it's sort of testing in name only. And their test suite is a file with five or six, you know, little things. And so, you know, a true appreciation of testing and a true TDD test driven design approach, which I am not dogmatic about. And so, you know, um, 
we like when, when I'm doing hiring, you know, we actually have a whole section on testing and not doing any testing is a huge red flag for us. But one of the things that mm-hmm. we allow wiggle room on, if you talk to hardcore TDDers, you write the tests before you write any code. You write all the tests and you and you flesh those tests out and you have all of your assumptions and you do all this stuff in the test. I can't develop like that. I hate that that development style. It just doesn't work for my brain. The way I like to do it is I start to do uh, the data model and I actually start putting the logic together. The data model is often the database, but it could be something as simple as a hash you know, or a dictionary, depending on what language you're in and modeling what the thing is and what pieces of information you need. And then I write some tests around that and then I'll come back and do some logic and some more data modeling. And then I do some tests and I go back and forth like that. To me, that I count that as TDD. Purists would say no, I would say yes. So any of that though, just doing any, well, no, any kind by, of appreciation by, like, or dedication def- to if, testing. If you look by definition, TDD, it, it implies the tests are written first. That is what TDD is. Test-driven development is the key there. What, no, not no, just no. doing tests. TDD no, raises t- the bar to say test first. Right. Well, no, it says test-driven, meaning the tests drive the code. But in a, in a, there is no reason that you can't. You can have a front-wheel drive car and you can have a rear-wheel drive car. There is no reason that the test has to be written first. It says that the tests drive your logic, and I would stipulate that the code that I write, even if I don't no, write the no, test what first, I'm, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing that uh, writing the test. So in my in my case, I actually it's it's iterative. I I co-write the. Uh, the business logic and the test. Usually I will That's start I with do. some high level tests. I'll say, okay, I need a new, I need a new object to do X and I'll use the test to help me design. Like, how do I want to use this thing? What do I want the public mm-hmm. contract to look like? And I'll start with a couple of high level tests. Here are the basic, uh, here are the basic interfaces, the ins and outs, meaning inputs and outputs. Uh, and I'll rough that out and then I'll go and I'll start to develop the, the module. And then as I have to manipulate and evolve the module, I'll add and manipulate and enhance the tests over time. That's kind of my process. I do them at the same time. That's mm-hmm. not TDD. What I'm, and I'm not arguing there's not value in it. That's what I do. That's what I find the most value in. I'm saying that by definition, TDD means the test cases are developed before the software. Yeah, and and again, like that's pu- I'm just saying that's the definition of TDD. So I would you- argue that both of us based on our our uh explanations of workflow, both of us are doing TDD for the most part. It's yeah, close. Enough I was going to say would you want to be super dogmatic. Yeah, I was going to say would you qualify what you're doing as a um uh would you qualify what you just described as TDD? Because I would. You use the word iterative, which in hindsight is probably what I should have just said from the get-go, because that's exactly what I do. It's iterative. Test code, test code, test code. And then which one I started with, is that really does that matter? Does that really matter if it's an iterative uh, it's some, uh, circular cycle? Really? I'm not I'm not saying I agree with this. I'm saying it's the it's the way that a a purist would think right, about it. Which is it. why I called them um, out and said that they are just being purist dogmatic yeah, pain in the ass. There are some advantages to TDD. Yeah. Um or or a purist would argue that there are some specific advantages to completing the test before the module is written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um first of all, when you're writing the object itself, when you're writing the 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 module itself, you are necessarily detail oriented on the implementation details. TDD doesn't care about the implementation. I want the contract to be satisfied. I want the contracts to be clear. 
right? Mm -hmm. So that's one level of, it can give you a little bit of posture, a little bit of discipline with respect to designing your interfaces, thinking through the interaction of that module with all the others um, before you actually go into implementation details because you don't care at that level. Second thing it lets you do is have different people on different teams writing the test versus the software. So if you have a dedicated QA function, this can be part of your project workflow where uh, you know, QA team, let's say, develops the test cases and then developers implement to that specification in uh, in companion with whatever other documentation is provided in, in writing. Um, so there are there are argued to be some advantages. I think for most teams, uh, you don't have to be that strict. Well, about and it. not and only. I would, yeah, well, I mean, like in the, an interview, I would probably say, yeah, I do TDD. And, yeah. and not feel skeevy, not feel like I've misled somebody. Well, what to I have done, when I when I have done, well, what I have done in interview situations where I, I very quickly pick up on a on a TDD vibe, I immediately go the purest route to avoid this question entirely. I make sure I make sure that the the TDD uh, that I that I go test first in an interview situation, just so that there's no question about yeah. what the uh, you know what my design style and, and intent is um and then i save it for a broader discussion you know later about you know how you know tdd is is actually it's 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 more about the iteration and it's it's less about which one comes first um yeah i yeah so. i don't i don't think it i don't think it matters a whole lot yeah yeah i i agree. Do strict, I agree but yeah. but a couple things we can agree on Doing doing tests and appreciation for tests and, and committing some time to doing good tests is a is a bonus and um, yeah a, and in some cases an absolute requirement uh, because you know if you don't have tests for the honestly if you don't have tests for the code if you haven't tested the code then you haven't done your job you know I, 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 it still blows my mind that Point engineers blank. engineers blank. the fact that engineers still think that they can just write code and throw it in the wild without actually doing yeah. any kind of testing around it like are you serious there's no other job in the world there's, with deliverables no, there's, there's, that you don't test with none name except, a job name a job except if you're line except if you're linus he's gone on record as saying look if the code compiles my job is complete and then it goes to somebody else <laughs> he literally doesn't care after that but he's freaking linus like he get he, he's in a special uh he gets that privilege I yeah, guess. yeah he does and and even still he's he's still standing on the shoulders of other testers yeah it, you know his job is done and he's handed it off to a bunch of people that are going to write flipping tests for him so you know yeah. th even that doesn't, well, which is doesn't care which is the same thing as saying no i have a dedicated qa department that's going to write the tests either before or after to validate or at the same time to validate usually not after um Usually someplace with a dedicated testing department, that test plan, the test code is developed either before the, the software is written or in tandem. And so you have mm -hmm. parallel efforts that meet at the end. Yeah. Um, I don't I've never I don't think I've ever witnessed a team where like team of developers generates the code and then team of testers writes the test for it. That doesn't I've, that I've doesn't see that happen in reality. I mean, uh, well, also mm, sounds fraught. Well, I mean, it does sound fraught, and I have seen that. Any, anyone that has a dedicated, oh, Q, have you? Anyone that has a dedicated QA department is at risk of falling into this trap because the developer, what the developer, here's what happens. Think about the organization structure. We're going to take a step back now. We're going to do some business here. Think about the organization structure. Two silos: development, QA, and QA does testing. Okay, developers over here. Uh, know and understand, oh, QA is going to do QA. They're going to 
quote unquote, do testing. And so when that engineer push comes to shove in terms of time frame, uh, okay, I'm going to get it done, push it over the wall. We've got QA anyway. They'll, they'll, they'll take care of it. They'll take care of it. And they, they absolutely throw that over the fence. That is a, that is a real risk in, in an appropriately, I say appropriately, in, in, a, in an organization that is structured in such a fashion, you, you, you could facilitate that kind of thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, because remember, people gonna be people. People gonna yeah, be people. people are weird, and they're gonna, people are weird and they're lazy. And oftentimes the laziness works in our favor as developers. This is one place that it really does not. You need to it write was, your own tests. Do laziness, your own tests. hubris. Laziness, hubris, and what was the third? The the attribute of a good developer. Laziness, hubris, and um Nah, I'll, I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Fine, in the, the show notes. I don't. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. That I'm actually. I'm yeah. blanking on the reference you're talking about. It's called the Three Virtues, originally devised by Larry Wall, who's the original author of the Perl programming language. It's laziness, impatience, and hubris. Each one of those things is actually beneficial to writing great code, according to Larry Wall. If you go to threevirtues.com, you can see them in a little more detail. So anyway, TDD also super important to me. Testing, testing generally, TDD and the purest nature of that a little bit less so, but but it is really important to see that um, we interview around that. That's one of the things we look for, and um, I, I think moving forward that that will be a, a core component of any engineer level test that I do. But if you can show me in your resume your your testing chops, I love I love seeing a bullet for yeah. for projects that talk about your code coverage. I love seeing that. You don't need to talk about anything else. Just say 75% code coverage, 60% code coverage. That's great. That's Whatever super cool. Is, yeah. If they talk about code coverage in the interview unprompted, also super great. So that's my that's my uh 3 plus 0.5. Well, there you go. Uh Let's see. The other two things, the other two hanging chads we had, we were going to talk about the Joel test in depth a little bit more. The other thing that we had was that you feel that candidates must know the language going into a role. And you were saying it was because of the frameworks. Both of these topics are interesting to me. I'll let you pick. Yeah. Uh, first, I don't want to talk about that yet, though. First, oh, I got okay. new. I, I got some new gear. We talked gear. Oh like, yeah, uh, let's do it. Yes. A month or two ago. Yeah. Um, I so I I did pull the trigger. I don't know if I ever told you this. I was looking at that ridiculous uh, uh, split keyboard called the Moonlander from yep. ZSA. Yep. Wound up pulling the trigger on that. Okay. Uh, and it came probably a couple of months ago at this point. Uh, phenomenal product. It is really, really, really a neat product. Oh my gosh. Okay. So uh, a, a normal standard keyboard has, uh, you know, if you're looking at like a full normal U.S. style keyboard, you got the QWERTY keyboard, uh, you have the num numbers at down the top the side. and then and then function rows, function row above that. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, oddly differently length tab and shift and uh, other uh, other keys on the on the left and right because mm -hmm. the, the rows are offset. If you right. look at your keyboard, the rows are offset from one another, and that causes the keys on the edge to be different widths. Um, and then you got a huge space bar, and then you have, uh, you know, like an arrow and home key cluster, and then a 10 key off to the right. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Moonlander is 
far fewer keys. I have the actual letters, I have the numbers at the top, and then I have one row of others at the bottom and one column on the sides. That's it. There's no home arrow cluster. There's no 10 key. I don't have a row of function keys. It's very, it's very minimal in, in what it provides. Okay. However, there's this software. I didn't know this was a thing. There's this a software project called um, uh, uh, QMK which is an open source keyboard firmware project. And so ZSA, uh, uh, the Moonlander uses this QMK firmware. Um, so what you can use, you can set up modifier keys and you can have different layers of your keyboard. So for example, by default on the right, uh, the, the right keyboard, I have, you know, keys and six through zero and, and whatever else I have. If I push a modifier key with my left hand, all of a sudden where my, where my hand sits on the home row, that area of what is normally letters, and I use Dvorak, so I don't know what the normal QWERTY letters would be there, but uh, under my right hand, immediately my index, middle, and ring finger on my right hand become four, five, and six, like a modifier key, and I change this part of the keypad into a 10 key. I have another modifier key, which changes my normal one through zero to function keys. And so you can add, you can, you can either have it so where you like you push on a key, a modifier, and you temporarily get a different layer until you release the key, or you can tap the key and go to that layer permanently until you tap another key to go to a different layer. Um, and so it's, it's far fewer keys. You have to use the layers, but that makes it, um, once, once you get used to that, it's actually really nice. Um, and and it, it does it does kind of open you up a little more as you're typing. I, I went back. I had to work off my laptop for a day and I felt squished. I felt scrunched like with my hands next to each other typing. It felt very awkward after using a split a split design. Um, and it's just good build quality and it's it's got some other cool features. They have an online software QMK like you, you define your mappings, your keys and all of this kind of stuff in like C code. Um, and it's, it's pretty nerdy, uh, but they have a, a ZSA has a config, a web based configurator um, so that you can use a, a, a website to reconfigure your keyboard. And then they have a, um, a little binary you run to flash the, the new firmware. Um, is very cool. So I, I'm, I'm recommending. Uh, there's also, uh, there are other types of split keyboards. It's, this is a cool product though. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay. very, it's very Yeah, they very call them, they, they, I have heard, so I have a number of keyboard enthusiasts at my company as, you know, as in a surprise to no one. Um, I actually have one of, one of my IT guys actually builds them custom from scratch, ground up, and uses all kinds of materials, shapes, and sizes, and things like that. Um, so I have a number of, of keyboard enthusiasts. This has never been a space for me, but I'm not a strong touch typist either. And so, you know, just the standard layout tends to work for me pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but um, they call them layers is what I've heard. Like there's the yeah. keyboard layers. And so you yep. push, push a modifier button. It changes the layer, what the keys actually do. And you can change mm -hmm. it back to the layer. And then you can actually have modifiers that'll cycle through the layers. And so you might mm -hmm. have three or four layers and you push it three times to get down to a certain thing. Yeah, I have, I have four, my layer zero is my standard, you know, letters and numbers layer layer. Well, layer zero is that layer one. I have symbols on the right, on the left cluster and I have numpad on the right cluster. Layer two, I have um, uh, arrows, home and end, and then actually uh, mouse controls. I can navigate 
I can move the mouse with the keyboard on, mm-hmm. on layer two. And then layer three, I have, um, there's some macros and uh, vo- like uh, media controls. So play pause, I can, I can uh, mute, zoom and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really neat, uh, I, I, I recommend everybody at least look into this a little bit. Uh, but there are also some weird ones. One's called the dactyl. Um, it's this weird custom, like you have to, you have to 3d print and, and solder it yourself, but it's like, it's not even flat. It's this curved, we- it looks evil, uh, but pretty cool. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm yeah. Not, I don't think yeah. I'm ready for that. I, I, um, I don't, I, again, I find most of this stuff is, um, it's fun. I, it's fun. It's, it's, it's fun. that's exact. That's, that's a good way of putting it. All right. So unless you, unless you do have like severe, like RSI or something, uh, which I was starting to develop, which is why I started down this whole path in the first right. place. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave this unless I had a reason to, because yeah. this is, I got you. Yeah. And I have um, my, my problem. I'm not sure how to solve mine. Uh, I have a shoulder issue with my mm-hmm. mouse hand. Now I've got the desk at the appropriate height. Like it's my arm is generally it, like I can sit with my my elbow just kind of loose. I push it up just a little bit, but I still get that. I have this this chronic knot in my shoulder on the right side where my mouse hand is. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the solution is other than just, you know, constant therapy and rollout and things like that. I mean, the only solution I've seen is don't use a mouse. Um, I could switch to a trackpad or a trackball and put it like down. I can hang it off the side of my desk, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if I want to go that route yet. So, um, yeah, but as a gamer, that's going to be a uh, it is. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit of a harsh transition. For I don't you. know. Trackball sucks. Trackball absolutely yeah. is garbage for gaming, which means I would probably continue with the mouse for gaming and use something else for work. But mm. I don't know what I'm going to do there. So anyway, um, you, it was called the Moonlander, right? Yeah, the Moonlander. Yeah. Cool. That's it's it's pretty cool. <clears throat> and you're wearing some cool. new headphones. I am. Uh, so I some I really sharp looking uh, headphones. Yeah, I. <laughs> you say that, and I I think I think uh, there's there's a note of a note of suspicion in your voice. They are Apple. Um, oh, I went. Oh, and well, I, never I mind. They're, they're garbage. Never mind. They're, they're, they're hot yeah. Apple garbage. That's that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I splurged. It's it's a, it's a. <laughs> oh, well, that's sad. No, I almost thought I almost thought I was going to have to play the failhorn for them at first. Uh, I almost sent them right back. They, um, I've been wearing quiet comforts for ten or fifteen years now, mm-hmm. and they just melt into the background. They're phenomenal. Uh, recommend them without you know reservation. Um, a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the fit of the quiet comforts comes from resting from, comes from the headrest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there's some clamping pressure, but the ear cup is the, the cushion is so soft that it easily molds to the shape of your head. Um, and then that's it. The apple, a lot of the hold comes from clamping force mm-hmm. and not as much on the uh, resting on the top. And, uh, I just, I have a big head and, uh, it was, yeah, I, I had say. tension headaches for days when I first got them because they just, they press too hard. Um, and once I, I just bent them to stretch them out, uh, and now they're, and now they're great. They're the same semantics as far as controls, uh, they're active noise cancelers. Um, so they have the same semantics as the ear, earbuds pro, um, that I got, um, 
I had the original the original wireless uh, AirPods from Apple. I got them from mowing, actually, because I didn't want the big bows on there because it's hot and sweaty, you know, trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I switched to the the old style Apple earbuds. Um, but the wires, I have a line of trees out back and the wire kept snagging on branches and the pain <laughs> in the rear. Um, so when they came out with the AirPods, I was like, oh, these are great. I tried them, loved them. It was great. That's how I um, when they came out with the pros, I thought, well, that's even better because they're noise canceling. I don't have to crank the volume on what I'm listening to to beat out the mower engine. Right. Um, but they were too expensive. And then I wound up getting them as a gift and I really liked them. Um, and uh, my bows were starting to this is the second pair I've had. They've lasted six years or so. Um, it's starting to show their age again. Time for replacement. And I looked at the new and the QC. 35s i think or like bluetooth option mm-hmm. um and then apple came out with these and and i uh it was on a lark i splurged they, they do look a little sleeker a little slimmer mm-hmm. um and of course they can wire uh, what i really what i like about them though i guess is is that i can plug them into my uh the the local uh local monitor port on my microphone um and use them just like the bose but as soon as i unplug them they instantly switch over to the phone Oh, cool. Uh, which is which is and when I plug them back in, it instantly switches back to local. So that's that's actually it really, forces. Uh, that's that's nice, because I have had people um, depending on their audio setups where the zoom will will disconnect when the phone rings because mm-hmm. their headphones pick it up there because the phone tries to, to pull the Bluetooth, the phone yeah. pulls the Bluetooth. And so if it actually yeah. by plugging it in, if it disables that, that's pretty cool. That's a that's yeah. a nice feature. So it is. And I've got some guys I work with. They have wireless headphones that do. They have that like dual Bluetooth. So it's connected to their phone and their computer Mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. on a call when it rings. They lose audio. Yeah. I don't Um, like these. These don't have that. That the only problem is, though, with the Bose, you only needed the battery for the active cancellation Uh, with Apple. You need the battery just to get basic sound, even if you don't have cancellation or transparency on. Right. So rechargeable. And when I've I'm got assuming them, it's rechargeable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apple, so when I've, Apple when wouldn't I've have them, anything that you could replace a battery in. Don't be ridiculous. Oh, Frank. don't be. My don't gosh. be insane. What are you, don't an be insane. idiot? <laughs> oh, what dumb, dumb. Uh, so that that is that is the one downside uh, that I besides the price tag. I don't know that they warrant almost double the price of Bose. So I what's don't that? Five hundred bucks. That, what was that? Five fifty. Five fifty. Good Lord. Yeah. The Bose I, are three. I don't know that like objectively that they're really worth now that I will say um, the the portability, the plug it in and and the phone doesn't grab it when it rings. All of that's great. They're mm-hmm. great build quality. They stay a lot cooler. The 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 ear cup is uh, is like a um, it's like a mesh. Uh, it's it's not like the folk, fake leather from the bows that Bose uses um, mm-hmm. and the and the cans themselves are made of uh, I think it's aluminum. So the net effect is they breathe better and radiate more heat. They stay cooler overall. Oh, OK. Yeah. Because of that, because you're not dealing with the pleather and the, the, the heavy, yeah, the heavy plastic. Fits of, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're noticeably heavier, but they 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 run cooler. Um, and for music, the I mean, the sound quality is wonderful. Like okay. It is much clearer, especially I listen to a lot of like orchestral and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have a lot of different instruments at once, it's it's a lot clearer with these. So it is it is a little bit of a better sound quality, although they don't go quite as loud. Um, hmm. okay. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's worth twice. the. I don't know if it's worth the Apple tax. Um, but if you're already if you're in the ecosystem and I am for, for personal devices um, and you have the money to burn. They're, they're, they're really nice. They're really nice. So would you, so I mean, given, okay, so all, all in, would you make it a recommendation? Would you make that a pick? 
Would that be my pick? Could it be a pick or would you? I mean, I, I, don't, think I, I don't think I can do it. You got a lot yeah, of caveats. I don't oh, think I man. can make it a pick. Okay. I don't think I can. Be- I like them and I decided I'm I'm keeping them. Yesterday would have been the, the RMA date if I was going to send them back. Okay. Um, so I decided to keep them. I'm very happy with them. I don't know that I can make it like my pick gotcha. because it's just I don't know if it's worth the price objectively. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But they're sleeker. They look nicer. Blue is kind of my aesthetics, and they're I got the blue color. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're nice, though. I, I look forward to, to traveling with them. I want to see how they perform on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used them in other circumstances. I even mowed with them. I don't want to do that on the regular because they're really nice, and I don't want them to get messed up. But um, just to compare them to the, the, the AirPod Pros and my Bose, which I've used in a bunch of different circumstances, I've been trying them out. Um, they never perform worse. They never perform worse than than the alternatives, at least the two that I've got. So um, they're nice. I don't know if it's a pick though. Moonlander mm. would be, but I think I think that may have already. If that we wasn't already a pick did that already, I'll make the Moonlander a pick. Um, okay, re upping on the Moonlander. Super augmented, I silent, and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. Uh, all right. Let's see here. How much time we got left? We got about ten minutes. Are you good? Yeah, a few minutes. We can fight. We can fight about this language thing. If you, you can want. fight about the language thing. All right, let's finish that yeah. up because it kind of it, it boiled over and then it's like um, a hanging chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's finish up the hanging chat. All right. So, so uh, to recap, I said the language doesn't matter. That when I look at a resume, I want to see some languages. I need to see more than one. Two, three okay, is ideal. Granted. Okay. Granted. All right. I'm 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 going to be hard pressed to look at a candidate favorably if they got one language. Maybe if they're straight out of school, but even there. I expect you were exposed to more than one thing at school. Right. Like that's a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and I'm, ge- I'm generally pretty generous with my definitions of languages. I count, I count to a certain extent things like uh, SAS and CSS a little bit. I count SQL, depending on how complicated you've gotten with the SQL. Uh, I'll even count HTML, but again, you're going to have to talk to me about it, but that's not, I can't be the only thing. Those are like extras, but I do think about them in, in the languages category. Okay, because uh, I know that's a that's a big fight. There's there's memes yeah. about this where it's like, oh, learn to program HTML. Well, you don't program HTML, idiot. Yeah. That's not how it works. I would but say I, I would agree with you, though. Like if I see those things, it's good to know that they're there, but that can't be the only like, one language. And that no, that doesn't that, that doesn't, doesn't do count for me. Yeah. If you're if you're if your definition of language is the lamp stack, which is Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP, that's that's not that's not good enough. You know, like you, yeah. you, get, you got to show me a little bit more. So anyway, I will count those things, but it'll be off to the side. But if you showed me PHP and Ruby and uh, Python or or uh, even JavaScript, JavaScript is you know, pretty fully fledged at this point. Um, we have things like Node, uh, Java, C, like any combination of two or three of them. And I am I'm solid. I don't care what language you're going to be in. You know those. I know you can learn. If you know two, you can learn three. If you know three, you can learn four. And I'm not. I'm not going to sweat that. I really won't. But you, and maybe maybe we passed each other tonight on this because it sounds like you're agreeing with me. But you before said no. You 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 are to recap. You are a C sharp. You're a Microsoft shop, and so it has to be C sharp. It's going to be C sharp. And if they don't know C sharp, you're not interested because they're not going to have any of the knowledge and understanding of the frameworks around the language. And that's the deal breaker because you're not worried about the ramp up on the language, but you are worried about the ramp up on the frameworks. That's what I understood from what you said I, before. I am. I guess. I guess at the highest level, yeah, that's my position. 
okay. and sort of save time. I, I don't, um, I will look at different, I will look at things like uh, paradigm with the languages. So if I see PHP and Ruby and Python and JavaScript, yeah, that's more than one. And I like that you have the exposure, but I still, I'm concerned that you don't have a Java or some kind of a C uh, or something that that I want to see a dynamic. I want to see a compiled optimally. If we're talking about like okay. the ideal candidate yeah, yeah, yeah. would understand mm-hmm. both compiled and scripting one right. of each. Right. So if I saw like a like a Python and a C sharp done, you're you're good. Let's roll. Let's rock and roll, baby. Okay. Um, if I saw Python and PHP and Ruby and that was it, I'm like okay, that's probably okay. Uh, but have you ever worked in a C, a C++, a Java, a C Sharp, anything com- like do you have it? I'll probe for more there. Yeah. Um, and almost always, if you went if you went to uh, if you did like a traditional degree program, you almost always have exposure to at least one compiled language and at least one scripting language. And it's not even an issue. Um, but I also look at paradigms as well. So I see that you have experience with uh, some um some imperative language and some functional language at that point i don't care what either of them is that's buku points because it's it's a different way of thinking you you have a much broader perspective than somebody that's got c sharp and python um but for for the and and if i was so if i was a dot com if i was startup if i was just getting a small team if i had flexibility that's what i would look for and i'm in alignment with you i would kind of stop there cuz i don't care what your language is Okay. If I'm in an enterprise environment and we're a Microsoft shop and everything's going to be .NET either, you know, framework for five or core, you know, two, two or three, and everything is aligned towards that stack and I have two candidates and one shows me a dynamic and a compiled and a functional and none of them are Microsoft and the other guy can show me a couple of different Microsoft languages, that's going to be the tiebreaker for me. because. The language, and especially the more languages you know, the easier it is to learn any of the others because there's so much transferable skill there. It's it's almost ridiculous at some point. Um, the issue is it's, it's very easy to learn the basics of a language and get to a point where you can write proficient code in the language. It takes a lot more study and a lot more time to become familiar with two points specifically. One is frameworks and libraries. Yeah, that's absolutely a, a a practical concern for me because if you let's say you know some uh, you know Java and you know Python and we hire you and it's a .NET shop, you learn C sharp in a couple of weeks. It's not a big deal, but you don't know .NET framework and you don't know the Microsoft libraries. You don't know all of the core utilities. You're not familiar with the ecosystem and the compilers and the the scripting and there's all of the other stuff around the language um, and and especially again the the frameworks and libraries that you don't know that takes longer to ramp up on and become good. Now you've got Google open the whole, your, your first three months on any job, you got Google open the whole time anyway, because you're looking up all the new stuff that they do that you've never touched before. And that's normal. And that's natural. And you know, I'm not upset about that. Um, but I think there is, I th- that is something to be concerned where, Hey, we need people to come in and start being productive with this. And I don't have three or six months for them to come up to speed on this project. With a larger team, with a more calcified stack, that becomes more of a concern. The other thing is not just the the frameworks and libraries, but also uh, there's like uh, the Ruby uh, Rubyists. I think really were the they're the loudest about this, right? You can write Ruby, but are you writing idiomatic Ruby? 
So the the program is syntactically valid and it does the it takes the input and, and spits the output. Are you doing uh, things the it, Ruby way is what you're exactly. getting at. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is it is it pragmatic? Is it is it idiomatic Ruby? And and I that seems weird at first. But having spent a good chunk of time as a Rubyist and in that ecosystem, I can tell you that. It's interesting because there is a Ruby way to think. And mm-hmm. and now that I know that, I started to see, you know, after I kind of understood what that meant, I started to see it in other places too. I started to look back on some of the good and bad C++ code I had written a million years ago, or look at some of the good and bad C sharp code that some of my teams are writing today, oh, or you, look at other totally open source projects in I- other <laughs> ecosystems and see like, yeah, that that means something and that takes time too. And so that you you missed an opportunity there. You you ha, you could have said the bad and the bad C sharp code. I, I really <laughs> like. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it, and you left me you left me hanging on it. <laughs> nah, C sharp C sharp's a fine language. That's fine. Oh man, C sharp's a fine. Language. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna it, see more of it. By the way, if if so, if you if you have lingering doubts about C sharp, you're gonna start seeing more of it with with .NET, .NET Core, Core and, and Core. then posturing towards uh, Linux deployments and Docker. You are going to see more of this. So if you're not comfortable with it, I, I recommend. Well, you, I mean, you they write the C sharp's not a, just like Java. It's never a bad language, right? There are things I don't personally like about it. It's not a bad language. The problem that everybody had with Java was when we started shoving it into applets in the browser. That's uh-huh. where you had all the bad the bad code, the poor yep. performance, the security the issues, security issues, especially. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. and and yeah. So those are the two like practical tenants in terms of learning and ramp up time in an established team with a calcified stack. It's the language it's the 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 frameworks and libraries and then the the idioms that I I I hate but just to be practical like they are a concern for me. Now if I'm if I'm going and I'm startup land or I'm I'm especially if I'm a consultant where you're getting requests from every every different project you're learning a new language or framework, you're optimized for that. You probably have the experience to do it. I would fall back to what we would agree on as a baseline. Give me one of each and I'm happy and mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it as much. So it it's not a blanket statement, but in a specific environment, yeah, that 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 does matter. Okay, for me. so you you've got a all right. So I, I, I got you. So you're, what you're really doing is you've, you, you're, you're going for a, it's a very specific situation that you were trying to adjust for and account for. Yeah. 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 I, and, I, can, and I broader, can agree with that. I can agree with the that. broader point, though. The broader point, though, it's just that learning the language is easy. Learning the frameworks and the idioms takes is not hard, but takes a lot longer. Right. I would say. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has been episode 20 of the Refactored podcast. You can find show notes and archives at refactored.work. Please get in touch with us, refactored at, wait, feedback at refactored.work. I I'll, add that, as, that I'll add that as an alias. I'm going to add that as an alias. As We're going to do refactored, refactored at refactored.work because yep. I've said okay. it now so many yeah. times. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm, on, great. I'm on it. Um, I'm on it. Thanks for the handicap. You got it. <laughs> so please reach out. If you want more of Frank's rambling cat blog, you can reach him hotcoals.com, <laughs> K-O-E-H-L-S. Uh, if you want my useless banter, it's chris.tonkinson.com. And I think that'll play us out for the day. Frank, thank you very much, my sir. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you.